Hello and welcome to the latest Guernsey Green Finance podcast, ranked as one of the top 10 most useful sustainable finance podcasts by the Green Finance Guide. We like to think that Guernsey is one of the jurisdictions leading the way in the development of green and sustainable finance. And as part of that, we have a programme of international engagement and we have this podcast series where we speak to and learn from some of the leading figures globally in the field of sustainable finance. Hello, my name is Dr Andy Sloan. I'm Deputy Chief Executive at Guernsey Finance, uh, the promotional body for Guernsey's finance sector and Chairman of our sustainable finance group, Guernsey Green Finance. Today, I am absolutely delighted to be speaking to Gordon Power, uh, co-founder and chief investment officer at Earth Capital. Hello, Gordon. Hi, Andy. Thanks for inviting me. Well, no, 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 thanks for coming on the podcast, Gordon. I mean, it's really great to have you join us, you know, particularly over the, sort of the closeness, the work we've done over, over recent years. You guys are absolutely fantastic, real um, superstars in this space. It's, it's really wonderful news. And we're really excited about that the Noble Sustainability Fund has received uh, Guernsey Green Fund status earlier this year. For our listeners who might not be aware of the Guernsey Green Fund, no, it's a shame, we obviously haven't told you about it yet. It is the world's first ever green regulated regime for green funds. It created a trusted, transparent product based on international standards that deliberately precludes greenwashing. 75% of the capital in the fund has to be investments that meet the green criteria, such as renewable energy, forestry or low carbon technologies. So, Gordon, as as probably as a starter for 10, if I may, could you just tell us a little bit about the Noble Sustainability Fund and why you chose to get the Guernsey Green Fund designation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thanks for the intro. Um, yeah, the Nobel Sustainability Fund is uh, actually already domiciled in Guernsey. So uh, it was a natural fit when the Guernsey Green Fund opportunity uh, presented itself. I mean, we, uh, we pride ourselves on being able to be uh, very sustainable um, and an impact investor. And that's what the fund does. But we also um, yeah, are very keen to make sure that um, uh, the, the way in which people look at these funds and get some comfort around uh, the market confidence, they, the, something like the Green, uh, the, the, green um, the Guernsey Green Fund provides. And so, yeah, it's great that it's the first regulated fund. Guernsey's showing the way to the rest of the world. But at the same time, I think it helps those who are in the market and want to invest in uh, green funds to ensure that what they're really doing is getting a a high degree of standard, an international standard. Um, And that's what we feel the Green Guernsey Fund stamp gives us. The fund itself is uh, investing across energy, food and water, as I said, based in in Guernsey and kicked off with uh, huge support from uh, uh, a resident of Guernsey and Stephen Lansdowne uh, alongside the Monaco Sovereign Wealth Fund. So, and yeah, it's a fund that we are uh, looking to raise additional capital um, uh, to. And having the GGF stamp is, um, it, we think, is helping market our fund as well. I mean, Gordon, that's uh, that's great news, isn't it? and uh, you know, interesting to hear that you're actually out there on a. 
uh, another round of funding uh, as well. Obviously, confidence in your investment philosophy. Uh, you guys have been really you know, super helpful and support um, supportive of us all the way through. I remember when we were designing the Guernsey Green Fund rules, um, you know, uh, Neil uh, and Richard were really, really helpful in terms of designing the rules with us. Um, and so we're really pretty proud that, you know, you've, you've chosen to sort of take that step and get the Green Fund designation. It, but in terms of what uh, you know, EarthCap are up to, in terms of what's in the, the sustainability fund, in terms of the projects that you're interested in, what I was always fascinated by, you know, the, the sort of the deep ethos, uh, you know, the, the approach that you took um, to making a difference in the world. You talk about impact just there. And, you know, when I remember it, I just came across it. I was always came away thinking that, you know, you guys were, you know, the real deal in this space. But I just wonder if you, maybe you can explain a bit about your, you know, your investment strategy and the philosophy you take. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, with all our investment, as I said earlier, our strategy is across energy, food and water. Um, and I'll give you some examples of the sorts of things we're investing in. But, but it basically starts by the, the need for a business to really meet our criteria. And, and it's one of the reasons why I think we we found the GGF to be such a, a, a great standard because our Earth dividend has been something that we've been using for uh, the past 10, 10, 12 years. And what we do is, is, is we start the process by simply looking at a business and uh, putting it through 30 tests that cover natural resources, ecosystems, uh, pollution, social and economic contribution to society and governance. Um, and um, those 30 tests, we mark both positively and negatively. Um, and in doing that, we believe that what we do is have a good score that um, can then be shared with our shareholders um, so that they understand exactly what activities we're undertaking to be sustainable with a fund. So um, yeah, having said that, we then also use that tool to enhance the sustainability of the business throughout, um, throughout our ownership. And that, the reason we do that is not so much altruistic, it's, it's actually we believe that you make better returns um, from being more sustainable. And the more sustainable a business is, the greater the value that they have. So if I may, I quite like to, as, as is always the way with a private equity guy, loves to talk about the deals they've done. So if I, if I give you one across each one of those, energy, food and water. Um, in energy, um, we've been, I think we've pretty much done every single renewable energy there is available, uh, you know, ranging from solar, wind, biomass, biogas, uh, uh, even uh, geothermal uh, and hydro. Um, and in particular, I'm going to give you an example of how we've liberated through our sister company, Barclay Energy, uh, an island off, off of uh, the Philippines called Mindoro. Um, it's an island that was uh, totally reliant upon its energy resources for its uh, commercial applications as well as domestic using diesel. Um, and we went in, uh, we built up one side of the mountain uh, a, a series of uh, 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 wind wind turbines from Gamisa. Um, we built a road. Uh, we managed all the process with the local uh, inhabitants. We employed over 500 people while we were being 
uh, in the construction phase. They're adding to the local economics as well as uh, driving through uh, the opportunity of, the, of, of empowering them with uh, constant, uh, um, constant uh, wind, wind power. Um, the next phase of that has actually been uh, storage, so as to equally balance up the grid. And we're now into the second phase, which is going down the other side of the mountain uh, to produce another 10 megawatts. And that will provide sufficient, um, su sufficient energy for the island to, to satisfy around about 85% of its needs, uh, both now and in the future as we grow. Um, in food, uh, we, oh, we own a farm in Botswana, where um, in the past we've been able to feed 15% of the country with vegetables. And uh, we have uh, looked to take that business through a technology journey, uh, which has moved it from being in open fields um, and suffering pests, bad weather and all those sorts of things through tunneling and now we're about to move it into greenhouse controlled environment uh now not greenhouses like we understand them in the in the west you know glass it won't be made from that but much more like the sort of spanish versions of canvas but we also have an outworker program uh where we share the benefits of um, uh, being able to buy in bulk uh from seed and seedlings providers and at the same time, we make a market for those farmers who are able to produce to the standards that enable us to distribute into supermarkets in the, in the region. And I suppose finally, and one of the most interesting deals that I think I've done in my entire career is, is a business called Propylair um, that came up with a, uh, a system of uh, new toilet, a uh, new toilet system that uses only a litre and a half of water compared to, depending on what type of system you have, but up to nine litres. Um, and the real interesting point here is, is, is that, you know, in water scarce environments, the ability uh, for, um, for this to save water, you know, why flush waste away with nine litres of water when you could be drinking it? And it's been particularly of interest in places like South Africa and Cape Town, where there's been a massive water shortage. Um, and increasingly, you know, anywhere below the, um, the equator is really, really struggling with water conservancy and water, water management. So um, the reason why we actually choose those three sectors is because actually macroeconomic terms, um, there, there is a you know, huge, great reason for doing those three areas because you know, the world is going to increase in the next 30 years with another 2.8 billion people. And that's going to require a significant increase of 84% in energy, 60% uh, in, in food and 55% in water. And all of those you know, macroeconomic reasons, as far as we're concerned, should be done in a sustainable way. Awesome stuff, Gordon. I mean, that gives uh, a whole new meaning to getting down and dirty with a sustainable finance brigade. But uh, sort of uh, flippant remarks aside, those those percentages are um, that's pretty daunting stuff when you, you know, when you and, and and to think the numbers, the macroeconomic, the, you know, the secular trends that you're talking about there. It, it, it's 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 really significant stuff, and it's uh, it's a, a gives a 
to me, a bit of a grounding of the huge scale of the task in hand. But what came across to me there just then was the was the genuinity. Gosh, that's not really a word, you know. But the, the, the genuine sort of the, in terms of the the embeddedness of the DNA of how you approach your investment projects and what you're looking to do. I've heard you speak about the Earth dividend before, and I remember speaking to um, the GFSC, Emma Bailey, the head of authorizations there, similarly listening to your presentation, saying what, a, what an incredibly robust process it was. And but talking about invest processes, you know, obviously we're talking about, um, you're looking about raising capital, it begs the question, but what you're in business for, and you're in business to make returns, as well as, you know, to create a sustainable uh, planet for us all to live in. Um, and there are many people that are probably not as deeply entrenched in sustainability as yourself. Um, and they, you know, pop along with the age old questions, you know, preservation of capital and making returns. And they want, you know, want to know, um, am I going to have to sacrifice returns to, for, to invest sustainability? And you just said there, you know, in respect of it's, it's probably, do um, you think that investing for a sustainable future is the way to make returns? Um, it's almost like a bit of an open goal, uh, you know, an underarm delivery as it were, but perhaps, and I've heard some of the numbers you speak about this in the past, but you can give us a bit of an insight uh, about the, you know, the, the scale of the, the returns and insight into the relationship between returns and sustainability uh, with your business. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, I, th I think I'm going to use the words of a, a, a well-known economic guru of this world, and that's Mark Carney, who um, makes the point that this is a you know, several trillion dollar opportunity to make money uh, as an investor in sustainability. And of course, needless to say, we totally buy into that. Um, and I, you know, I think proven by the, the stats I just gave you, um, in that uh, you know, to, to shift our world um, both into a more sustainable environment than it has been and to cope with that increase in population is a massive spend. Now, a lot of people in the past have sort of, you know, suggested that, um, you know, pension funds, trustees, family offices, those sorts of things need to be concerned um, in terms of their fiduciary duty and therefore returns. Well, I can safely say that, um, you know, we, we have, uh, it's probably fair to say upper quartile performance uh, historically over the past 35 years. But um, the amazing uh, amazing differences is, is that the returns that we're achieving from sustainability are, are better than 1.6 times than being business as usual. And I think that gap's going to grow uh, if you look at the future, because you know, the, the, the trouble with investors is, is, is just the, the transition that climate change is going to require them to take and look at their investment portfolios in detail um, and look at some of those businesses from, uh, you know, a, a stranded assets issue. Um, and therefore, what uh, what we believe is, this is the, uh, by being sustainable, you're actually the future returns and, you know, History doesn't always repeat itself. I'm pleased to say over 35 years for me, it has. But, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is I think it's going to be some pretty serious challenges to some businesses. And to some extent, we've seen that in the past 18 months. In a way, um, I sort of said it's a bit of a 
it was coming up with a hoary cliche, but it was you're describing effectively an investment alpha there with with sustainability. You know, sustainability alpha in terms of that 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 incremental return. Um, is that is that fair? Yeah, I think, I, mean, I, I, think, I think I mean I think eventually people will start to look at uh, a sustainability being alpha. Um, but you know, the, the, one of the troublesome things, and this is a good thing again, back to GGF, is is that uh, uh, one of the troublesome things is there are lots of different ways of measuring it uh, in terms of sustainability, um, and you know some ESG overlays are. Um, uh, you know, are, are just choosing negatives to 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 comp their returns, um, and uh, you know, some standardisation I think is absolutely required. And GGF does that, which goes goes to that route. So yeah, I think uh, eventually sustainability. I mean, I think everything will be sustainability based. Hmm. Right. I, I think that that one point six times hopefully puts the. The returns question to bed and um, you, you, you pop up I and mean, actually measuring returns is quite a simple thing actually you know uh, but actually measuring like you say the the broader spectrum of the ESG and I'll I'll say it, I won't you, I won't let me read you to say it. this is what I'd call the ESG uh, bandwagon at the moment which uh, and you've got the small board of you know various reports and studies and standards and god knows what out there and stuff like that what I think is sort of creating, at the moment, particularly quite a confusing landscape. I always find with yourselves that it wasn't that confusing. But in terms of reporting and measurement and looking at the risks and testing how you, you know, the impact, you know, the non-financial impact that your, your investments are having. What's your how do you overcome all of that? How do you how do you do that within Earth Capital? Uh, we I've used the word before. It's Earth Dividend. Um... Yeah, when when we started out uh, as Earth Capital Holdings 12, 12 13 years ago now, um, it, it became clear to uh, both Steve and I that um, you had to be able to tell investors how sustainable their money you know, their money was achieved, what their money was achieving. You know, as you say, it, it's really easy to put together the the returns. You know, money in, money out gives you the return calculation. Um, but, uh, you know, just how sustainable you've been is, is the difficulty. And we were really interested in Earth Dividend being, um, you know, put together by, uh, you know, my colleague Richard, Richard Burrett, uh, Neil Brown, uh, some, God, 12 years ago now. Um, and it was, was well ahead of its time, and I, I believe it still is ahead of its time, um, that, uh, yeah, really does look at, the robust uh, requirements of both positive and negatives. And to put this some colour in this, it's probably actually to give you an example, because I think um, that's the way people would understand a dividend in a better way. If I go back to the toilet I was talking about earlier, uh, you know, when we first looked at that uh, business, we, we you, you would think, you know, saving that amount of water, it should be a really high scoring uh, sustainable business. Um, and of course, you know, the, the saving of water does give you a good score, but it, it's also made from, uh, like any toilet, there's a ceramic bowl. Um, and uh, the componentry in the inside the, uh, the the works of the thing are made from plastics. So when when we um, so we scored those things negatively, 
Um, and 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 we are in a ro uh, you know, a robust R and D program that might find uh, an alternative uh, uh, a product to ceramics. But in the meantime, what we're seeking to do is buy ceramics from people that use renewable energy, uh, which improves the score somewhat. The other thing is, is that uh, you know, in the plastic use of the plastics, we've we've driven towards recycled plastics, so much more circular economy. Um, and at the same time, improving margins, because we don't do these things uh, on the simple basis of, you know, sustainability has to have a, a, a value judgment in it as well. And that's improved margins and hence improved the value of the business. So, so we overcome that by using our dividend as a, you know, a, as a real business, uh, business uh, additive to our process. Yeah, and that... And that that has worked well for you over the last sort of 15 years or so like, you know, like you, you've said and it's you know and, I, and i've seen how you um you, know, you can report on that i've seen neil and richard give, give presentations on it and, and it's and it's as much and i've heard you describe this too about taking a an industrialist approach to your investment and creating sustainability it's not it's not just dipping in and dipping out it's like you know the investments aren't just for christmas it's there to is it to make it you know a real sort of social good I mean, again, to, to summarise that, I don't think I'm going to ask you to agree with me. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing uh, what you said to me. But in terms of that, then, I think that if you, the points that you've made um, about making the impact, about the returns and about the fiduciary duty that you've talked about and this ESG, I think you probably come down on the side of, uh, you know, the ESG is, is, is fully aligned with it, with the fiduciary duty, which is you know, related to sort of make, making money. Making money itself, you know, it returns is one side of the coin, uh, and obviously, but you know, there's, there's there's the counterweight to return, which is risks. Um, we haven't talked about much in about COVID in this podcast series, but quite deliberately. But um, the pandemic for me has probably highlighted some of the you know the big issues about investment risks and the implications of disaster and the downside and such. And I want to maybe talk about climate change now in the year of COP26. But, but if I look at the difference between COVID and climate change, in terms of risks and impacts, what do you think we should be looking out for um, in, 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 with respect to an, an investments going forward? So um, I, I think it's a really interesting an, an analogy. You know, COVID has shown how... Uh, re resilience in business is very, very important. And what I mean by that is in supply chains, uh, in the business processes that go on. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the cost of, of, of COVID on, uh, you know, the travel industry, for instance, is glaringly obvious. Um, uh, yeah, but, but, but something that people may not entirely understand is, I mean, if you take, for instance, you know, we're using Zoom here today and, and Zoom's value is, is currently seven times what the, what the, sorry, is larger than the seven largest airline companies in the world, um, which says a lot about what people are feeling in regard to the future of, uh, you know, continuing to, damage the world um, through you know, high carbon use. Um, and so we see climate change as a business risk that has to be managed. Um, and we, again, use a dividend to aid and assist us in managing that process. 
but it's also uh, it, it's also thrown up some pretty fantastic opportunities, um, particularly in the food security world, um, because those uh, those those uh, 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 distribution chains um, have really affected markets in particular places like the Middle East. Um, we're getting access to um, uh, the right food chains has, has, has caused them some trouble. And we're in discussions with um, numerous investors in that part of the world to, to take some of our food tech ideas uh, into those markets to enable them to be more secure. And, uh, you know, in Africa, there is energy security concerns. There's no doubt that, you know, that we will see a significant change in reporting from businesses once they start to adopt TCFD in a big way. Um, and that will start to show people quite what the climate risks exist. So for me, COVID's been a, um, if you like, a starter for 10 on what climate change might throw us. Um, and again, I, you know, I still believe there are huge opportunities um, to be back in the right horses um, that, that, that are able to combat climate change issues. For sure. I mean, you talk about the risks there and about, about that. Divya Shashami, who we've had on, on, on the series before at Greensphere, um, she, she gets quite exercised about risks and you know, people not pricing them in at this present moment in time. So to, just a, a quick sort of, you know, uh, ask you on that. Do, do you sense that people are doing enough in terms of thinking about pricing and the risks presently? Or do you think there's more to be done on that with, with people getting their heads around TCFD and, and the impact of it? No, I think there's a lot more that's got to go on. Um, the, you know, the, the business as usual um, stuff is still being affected by COVID. And so um, to some extent, it's taken over the concerns that climate will produce. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that COP26 brings everybody's agenda back to really understanding the, the business risks that we're all facing uh, and the life risks and, uh, you know, social risks that, climate change will bring uh, on, on, on businesses, on investment portfolios and people's long-term wealth. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, and I do view her well. And uh, she's right. The, you know, the, the, a lot of people are not uh, bringing in the business risks. Some of the analysis that we've seen is that CEOs that are reporting under TS, TCFD are underreporting the effects of climate on their businesses in the in the longer run and their business models, um, and yeah, that that will really start to show up some of the areas where there are problems. And, you know, and if you look at some of the activities being undertaken by the likes of Shell and BP, they are really looking at putting considerable amounts of money um, towards reducing their. Uh, their climate exposure to carbon um, in terms of driving through with renewable energy activities. Oh, well, well, I mean, it's, it's good. Well, in a way, it's good to hear, but that, that, that consistency of concern is, I think, is good. It, we're all, you know, on, on a similar wavelength, I think. And it, I'm talking about COP26. I do actually want to ask you about that, uh, something specific. And it's, I mean, it's great to hear you, the examples that you've given, Gordon, today. They've been, they've been great. It really does demonstrate that you're one of the few people that are really looking at this globally. 
you know, in terms of the investment projects, you've talked about three different regions of the world already in, you know, in, in our discussion today. Um, one of the big issues, I am aware of this, um, I do a bit of work with the IPCC on the expert review of assessment round six, and the concern about cross-border capital flows, particularly to developing countries. Um, we've had Gareth Phillips and the African Development Bank on before, uh, and the concern about actually just generally routing capital across borders and, and marshalling private capital in the fight against climate change. We've done work with the, with the UN on this, and we're, and we're hoping to make it you know, an issue raised at COP26 about that marshalling of private capital across border. The climate change or leadership finance initiative, you know, the Bloomberg guys have also identified this as a particular issue. In terms of COP26 and maybe the mobilisation agenda, do you... Do you think that there's a there's a sea change in the world at the moment on this? Is there is there any tipping point in terms of climate change and sustainable investment that you think um, that you've seen? You've seen, you've had 15 years of being at the coalface on this. Do, do, do you sense that maybe this is the year that finally it'll change that the, the cross border flows will start to um, you know to, well, this capital will start to flow fast faster? Um. It, it... I'm ever hopeful. <laughs> um, the, the, it's been a bit like evangelising, actually, but, um, the past 15 years. But I think what I've seen in the past year, 18 months, is definitely a, rec a recognition that big voices are uh, making the point that, uh, you know, we really do need to start moving towards uh, sustainable investing and away from... Um, uh, yeah, away from business as usual. And there are lots of um, different uh, units that are pulling towards COP26. COP26 gives us, the UK, a fantastic opportunity to lead the way in that sense. And uh, yeah, we, we, we as an organisation belong to uh, you know, a number of organisations, UNPRI, IGIIC, if I got that right, um, and, and, and recently, the International Platform for Climate Finance, which is sort of being led by Aviva, um, and they're looking at identifying the different pathways uh, that exist in the financial systems and in governments to be able to link up finance, governments and, uh, and, and you know, interested parties. And, so we we're joining that to uh, you know, give the view on the P, on the private equity world, um, and and it's it's pleasing to see that um, you know a significant number of people, like three hundred odd people, have joined that party, um, including people like Pimco, um, uh, you know, which are is a big funder of uh, international. Uh, sustainability. I mean, there's a business with two trillion assets under management and seeking to put proper, you know, emerging markets, um, uh, emerging markets debt structures for long term. You know, they're, they're taking a long term view of these things. So uh, it's good. I, I think the tipping, tipping point is we're in, we're in it, uh, really, as we speak. Um, and you know, the drive that we're seeing by government also towards pension funds uh, for trustees to get a, you know, a clearer understanding of uh, something wider than uh, just making returns from a fiduciary point of view, but also the long-term benefits that they've got to be providing for 
as a savings mechanism for you know people's retirements and things. Yeah, I think there's a real move, um, and it's great that people like Mike Carney are banging that drum. Uh, you know, Mike Bloomberg in the US, Joe Biden, you know, who seems to be uh, at last we seem to have a, a you know a, a uh, approach from one of the major markets in the world that is going to actually drive towards it. So I feel, um, you know, I feel like the past 15 years are beginning to get justified. <laughs> it must be, it must, be, it must give you a warm glow at night when you sort of go to bed real, to realise that you're on the side of angels all this time sort of thing. But uh, yeah. you mentioned Biden. I mean, actually, we, we haven't discussed this previously, but... Um, how significant do you think that the US finally, you know, coming back on board, as it were, is going to be for the, uh, for, the for the global movements of capital? And the US, you know, the scale of the capital markets is still, you know, still dwarfs everything else, does it not? Yeah, it does. I mean, I, you know, I think I think actually, you know, the the coming together with China joining and their uh, their agreement to rejoin. Uh, you know, makes a huge amount of sense. It will, it will drive, I'm sure, um, you know, money towards sustainability and, you know, and decarbonising economies. So um, I think it's great news that they're, that they're joining the party because it's the volume of capital that will then, over the next five years, move. Um, it, will be, it will be pretty good. And I suppose it's probably a bit too too imprudent to ask you if you've got any US investors in the fund. But one thing we've found in Guernsey is, is the rules have gone down particularly well in the US, where because I think maybe because of their uh, their lesser knowledge, I think is probably a, a, a polite way to say it, um, have much great, quite, quite great concerns about greenwashing. And we've always found in discussions that the robustness of the rules have been a very attractive feature. Uh, in the US market. And we've got quite a few flows through, you know, through Guernsey funds from the, both into and out of the US. Yeah, so advertising, uh, advertisement aside, I'll give away my northern roots there by my mispronunciation of that word. I will we just want to sort of maybe just take a, you know, just finally take a little bit of stock there. You talked about um, this being a, living through the tipping point, um, which is pretty amazing stuff to be doing. Um, and we talked about COP26, which is, you know, a pretty incredible year. You guys at the moment, you know, like I said, you've been doing this for a, a long time now compared to nippers like myself, as it were. Um, and you're in the middle of a, you know, a fundraise at the moment. What sort of, uh, in terms of your, you know, the, 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 the conversations you're having with people, what's the, what's the appetite to be, you know, in this space? Um, and in terms of, you know, thinking about going forward about, you know, doing, making the, 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 the all the positives that we that you've been talking about what do you think is going to be really making the difference in terms of the types of capital is it is it going to be public capital private capital family office money what's what's the sort of capital that's going to really make that that final bit of the difference i remember you know in terms of in terms of go back to the old days about you know the way that you structure you know you structure a deal sort of thing the, the most important bit of the capital often is that first slither you know the old mezzanine finance and that sort of thing is there is there an analog that I'm I'm stretching to make here, or, or do you see there's a particular um, particular form of capital that can make most difference? I, uh, I well, I think uh, I probably would say this, wouldn't I, from a family office point of view? But I, th I actually do believe the family office world does drive sentiment and change. Um, and the reason I say that is is because 
you know, usually those decision processes are, uh, I've got shorter lines to them. And what's happening is, is, is the, you know, the, 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 the new phase, um, phase of people coming through, younger people, much, much more focused on what's going on in the environment. And whilst their families may well have um, produced their wealth from dirty industries and then gave money away from philanthropy, What's, what I think is seeing a sea change is, is that family offices by the younger drive are saying, well, look, you know, you don't need to give it away. Just be more sustainable about the way in which you approach the use of the wealth. Um, and that is also driving, you know, the, the, the move towards um, uh, the move towards institutions doing the same. The, the interesting thing is, is, is that I think private, what private capital gives you, private equity gives you, is the ability to actually make that change be influential. Um, because, you know, you can structure things in a way with shareholders agreements and, uh, and, and the way in which you operate a business um, to ensure that you do those things. It's a bit more difficult in the public markets. And that's why I think one of the benefits of TCFD is, is, is we'll be showing those companies that are good at it and those who aren't. Um, but, you know, ultimately, the real, real shift comes when public companies start to actually make their own uh, business models more resilient, more aligned with, uh, you know, the needs of change to combat climate. And um, so, um, you know, and, and we're seeing some interesting public funds. I mean, in our sister company, uh, SDCL, you know, we started life with a standard private equity LP structure uh, back in 2013 um, for energy efficiency, um, you know, in the developed markets. And that, that fund is now, uh, was listed in 2018. And in the past couple of weeks has hit the 750 million mark um, and the team there are doing some great things in terms of, you know, not only being, not, not only do you need to be sustainable, but at the same time, you know, the reduction and use of, uh, by, through more efficiencies of, um, uh, you know, a finite resource as we speak anyway, um, is, is, you know, is just as important as it is on building new capacity. So, um, and that's been it, that's been a very successful uh, fund, uh, and there are others out there. So, um, you know, I think it's um, I think the, that mobilisation of capital is happening. Uh, I think you know, the the big market drivers such as the US uh, will assist. You know, Chinese buying and moving themselves towards uh, a more sustainable environment like to see it be a bit quicker but um uh, at the end of the day you know those are those are big you know uh teutonic shifts of uh, allocation of capital oh thanks God. i mean that's yeah i'm glad i wasn't stretching that, that making the family office money the making being able to make uh, uh, more of a more of a uh, make change more influential was uh, was a really good point um listen we've just look, just checking my watch here. And in terms of time, and I appreciate we could we could probably go on for oh, you know, twice as long as, as what we are. You know, I've I've heard you sort of many many different times. And it's you know, you guys are like I said at the at the forefront of this stuff, um, and have been for a long period of time. One thing I do like to generally 
I ask everyone that comes on the podcast is you know a little bit about their backstory. Um, I, I just think it really uh, you know lends a real genuine sort of like human interest to you know to to those out there that you've got so much um, uh, to offer in, in terms of motivation and such and to you know, the people who are looking to get into this space. You know how did you go about it? I mean it's uh, you know sort of making repeating myself now a little bit, but maybe. Just tell us a little bit about your backstory. I think people are really interested. Uh, well, uh, it started back in 2004 uh, when I sold my first private equity business, which uh, uh, would probably say it's more of a, a you know business as usual type private equity business. And I sold it to a US buyout firm. Um, and I was on a non-compete for two years. Um, and so I bought a house in France. Um, and... Yeah, for the first time, you know, having run a business pretty much 24-7, yeah, you got the opportunity to sit down and think a little bit more about, well, what the future was. And, you know, a quite interesting decision process. Yeah, which, should I retire? Should I start again? Yeah, those sorts of things go through your mind. Anyway, I'm sitting there in France, listening to what's going on at Kyoto, and uh, staring at a nuclear power plant uh, near um, Avignon, and um, thought, this, this sounds like a great opportunity because where there's business disruption, there's an opportunity for private equity. So I went back to Steve Lansdowne, who's a you know, business, business partner I've had for many years and sort of started to talk to him about you know, some thoughts about you know, how sustainability was going to be something that we should be perhaps thinking about. Um, he's about the same age as me, both of us, uh, you know, didn't have grandchildren at the time, but could see a, a world that would be quite different for our grandchildren. And so we started out the business and um, I'll be forever thankful to Steve for helping me get this business to the stage it has and, and, and you know, being like-minded. And um, I have to say, it's been a, a great ride, great fun. And uh, you've yeah, got the opportunity from here on in looks even better. Thanks, Gordon. I mean, you know, so I said, I'm not quite sure how much I'm going to sort of be able to sort of uh, you know, help people if, in terms of um, if we're all sat in the south of France. But it's an incredible uh, truism and, 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 and realism about you know, you know how you got into it, and I think that really does. You use the word opportunity so many times uh, during our conversation today, uh, and I think if that's my that's my takeaway. I'm, this is this is the difficult part of the show. Well, I basically have to sort of summarise some of the key learnings, as it were, the key takeaways from, my, from the conversation. And if, there was just so many, but if it, genuinely opportunity, I think was the was the the, the theme that I, I walk away from our conversation today. You talk about it about being you know, sustainability being the the seven several billion dollar opportunity. You talked about the sustainability alpha. You've talked about the opportunity for private capital really to have genuine impact and you know about this being a you know genuine global business and you know the fact that you were for me concluding there you talk about the the fact that it's even more of an opportunity going forward was a nice uplifting way to end you know end our conversation because quite frankly there's so many so much of the sustainability uh, conversation is about fear and fear of the future or for me it feels the, the, the positive approach that you've taken to this really did for me come across. 
Uh, and it's great that, you know, clearly over the last 15, 20 years, you've taken that positive approach to the investing, uh, your investing strategy to this, to this sector. And it's reaped dividends. It's brilliant to hear. And, you know, and it's great that you've been motivated by, you know, the generational issue. You know, we, we, we're all parents, or obviously your parents and our grandparents, but that, that, that need to make the world a better place. Um, and you can create money while you're doing it. Um, for me, that's what I learned from having your conversation with you today. So I just say thank you very much, Gordon, for joining us. Well, thank you. Um, all I would say to anybody listening is the water's warm. Why don't you come and join us? <laughs> now that is a is a quote that we should be posting straight away after this so anyway thank you very much gordon for your time and your insights today it really was a fascinating conversation um it just remains for me to say we have quite a bit of a back catalogue of interviews and, and discussions on the guernsey green finance podcast uh you can check them out by searching for guernsey green finance wherever you get your podcasts you can also find us at guernseygreenfinance.org and wearegurnsey.com and interact with us on Twitter. Our handles are at GSY Green Finance and at We Are Guernsey. We've got links to Gordon and Earth Capital's social media in our show notes. So do check these out to hear from more from Gordon and the rest of the team at EarthCap. And we'll be back soon with another edition of the Guernsey Green Finance podcast. Thank you. <laughs>